0: This episode of Idea School Startup is a product of Elements of Education, a nonprofit in Tacoma dedicated to providing opportunities for kids to explore their passions in public schools. If you want more information about Elements of Education, you can visit our website at ElementsOfEd.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. The newest innovative school opened in Tacoma today, the class of 2020, started at IDEA High School. If
1: you were going to go and do some surgeries on your community specific, you begin. As you're doing this, you're also, what are the strengths of these people? What are they, what are they, what excites them every day work alongside architects
0: in designing and building space using... My
1: remaining 30 minutes, I'm thinking this, these 30 minutes can't go by faster than... Anything. It's
0: really diverse, and we all actually need each other in order to get things done. Everyone
1: here wants to be here.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Idea, School Startup. Back in the summer of 2015, a group of teachers and educators in Tacoma, Washington, came up with a concept for a high school centered around design and engineering. They noticed that the term STEM or STEAM had been floated around for a decade or so and had become the newest hot-button word to describe education that taught the skills of math, science, technology, and engineering. Sometimes art was thrown in there as well, and every once in a while people would even throw an R at the end for reading, making the acronym even more awkward. This group of people noticed that while this buzzword in public education had become the latest and biggest trend, it was hard to find examples of an entire school that was doing more than just offering a few extra classes on coding or 3D modeling or robotics or putting a makerspace at the end of the hallway. They recognized that in reality, every product we use on a daily basis from a smartphone or an airplane to a bicycle or even a coffee table had to be designed and engineered by someone. What if there was a school that focused entirely on designing and engineering the products that we use every day? Before we get to IDEA, we have to take a step back to 1999 and talk about two other schools. This same group of people came from a school that was started in Tacoma and opened in 2001. Its founder, John Kettler, had a dream of opening a school of the arts that defied the traditional model of building schools and buildings isolated from the community and surrounded by fences and security guards. Instead, he came up with a plan to open a school centered around the visual and performing arts and decided to open it right in the heart of downtown Tacoma. After 10 years of this school thriving and attracting national attention, they opened a second school, the Science and Math Institute, and built it in a small pod of portables located in the parking lot in the middle of one of the largest city parks in the country. But they had access to a zoo and a marina and over 700 acres of natural wildlife. So when it came time for IDEA, it was time to think again outside of the box. IDEA opened in the fall of 2016 in an old elementary school that had been vacant for almost four years. I came into this story in the spring of 2016. I had spent 10 years of my life teaching at the School of the Arts and had left to work at a few different startup technology companies in Seattle. When John and his team began dreaming up this third school, IDEA, they convinced me to quit my job and come join this team of educators as IDEA's first co-director. That was over three years ago. And right this minute, we are preparing for the fourth school year of IDEA and our first ever group of graduating seniors. When we opened back in the fall of 2016, we had 124 freshmen and have been adding a new freshman class every year since. Our staff has grown from 10 of us in that first year to almost 30, and have been a lot of ups and downs in the process. And this is where our story starts. You'll get to meet the members of this team, friends, and partners that have helped us get to where we are, and hear interesting conversations with anyone else who is interested in public education. Some of these episodes will be conversations, some will be focused on certain topics, some will be stories told from the perspective of students, teachers, or even parents, What is it like to start a high school from nothing? Why would you do it in the first place? This podcast brings you inside the pains, struggles, triumphs, successes, and failures of a unique public high school experience. This first episode talks about our origin story with the founder, John Keller. John grew up in Tacoma and came up with the idea for the School of the Arts while teaching art at Stadium High School in Tacoma. In 2001, he opened the School of the Arts, followed by the Science and Math Institute in 2009. And then in the fall of 2016, he opened IDEA. We had a chance to sit down and talk about why even start schools, how it works, and, and some of the things that you don't expect when doing something different in public okay. education. So welcome, John.
1: Well, thank you, Zach.
0: <laughs> so you started at the School of the Arts back in 2001. Uh, the Science and Math Institute in 2009 and then IDEA we opened in 2016. I guess the big question is why um, Why would you start high schools from scratch? What's the purpose of starting something new and, and creating it from from the beginning instead of just taking the existing schools and trying to transform them into what, what you think they should be?
1: Uh, well initially with the School of the Arts so I was teaching art previously. One of the reasons for starting it is because we had such limited access to museums, to our downtown core, to things that were available for kids to be able to participate in the arts and do it at a high level. And so um, it was really using, being place-based and using the location of a city and using the assets of a city, and so if you were to take over and, you know, to work at another high school or to do that kind of thing, you're fairly limited with what can happen within the building itself because of typically their locations. So so to be able to start a school from scratch and then you can build it around a very particular culture, around the particular assets that a city has to offer in different locations, it is kind of a game changer for the way education happens.
0: So um, a lot of that has to do with place and location, um, specifically identifying locations that are different than what traditionally a school would be placed in. Why why does place play such an important role in, in developing schools?
1: It, because it gives you such access to to particular resources and it changes the mindset of the way education actually can happen. Instead of thinking of education as something that happens in one singular building and in one location, it's the realization that you can be mobile. We have buses, we have multiple ways of moving students, we use the the transit systems and so we could start class at x location and end at a different location and, and so it's changing kind of the paradigm and the thinking about where education can take place and not letting physical facilities limit that ability to do things. What kind of resistance is there to that um, to that
0: mentality of, of taking a school out of the traditional environment being a building that you're going to build on a piece of property that's kind of separated by, you know, fences or walls and a parking lot into just letting it be right in the center of a community? Is there is there resistance that you faced in, in doing that kind of thing?
1: I think any time that you're working within a established uh, institutional structure or bureaucracy, there's always going to be pushback. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's not that people don't want to do those things. I think oftentimes people that are participating within these kinds of um, institutions and structures they're oftentimes waiting to be told what to do or they're waiting for someone else to actually pave the path so they can do something differently, and it doesn't really work that way. You have to, just like in a partnership, you have to be willing to take 100% of the responsibility and then really put together really kind of logical steps and ways that you can do that and have a clear plan of what it is you're trying to accomplish so that others can see how it actually can it'll work and you know it'll be effective.
0: So um in starting all three of these schools they all have kind of different different pathways that led them to being successful. I know that for Soda you've mentioned before that it really wasn't working specifically with the school district to start with. It was really focusing more on the the community with the museums and with the University of Washington to a certain extent. Um, with Sammy working with Metro Parks. Um, How how has each of these schools been sort of different in their inception
1: and their, their origin story? And that goes back to what I just said about kind of paving the path and creating the opportunity so that it can happen. So to actually be able to get school district to see that doing it downtown, doing it with museums, doing it with the University of Washington, that's where those conversations had to be with the community and with those partners initially, so that they were receptive. They want to do it. They're like, we're at the table. You can use the Broadway Center. You can use the museums to teach out of. You can use the University of Washington. We believe in what it is you're trying to accomplish, and we want to participate. And so that was obviously the first step with Soda is having... You know, we would have meetings with, you know, it would range from 15 to probably 35 community partners and then very particular people between the museums, the Broadway Center and, um, you know, the university, you know, on a regular basis and being able to kind of explain here's the vision and the concept so that they'd come along. And then through that, starting that, I think we are into probably our maybe third year of soda, and... Created an opportunity to build a relationship with Metro Parks through running Metro Arts at, at Soda itself and doing that. And then through that relationship with Metro Parks and uh, it created the opportunity for us to start to have the conversation about how could we use Point Defiance Park, you know, and to do that. And then, you know, with idea, it's I, the... The thing that's great is as you do each one of these and as the team builds and it creates the opportunity for you to uh, to kind of rethink and to see things a little differently. So idea is in a very different situation, but it's, you know, it was rethinking about how do we bring people in and create those partnerships in a real way that helps define the culture and the, you know, the way school operates within a facility, you know. So,
0: yeah, and I think in our experience in going in and out the fourth year of soda, even just having it, mean idea, even just having a traditional building um, that looks very much like a traditional school, even just seeing those assets within the building differently, you, there's pushback. Um, there's it's it's difficult to try to get kids to think about what their what their expectations are. I remember the first <clears throat> week of school, we never intended to really have like a lunchroom per se. But kids came from eighth grade. They all had gone to middle school. Most of them had spent most of their times in a public school setting. And so when it came time to lunch for lunch on the very first day of school, the kids all got out of class. And the first thing they all did was file into what was kind of the gym at the time (laughs) it sort of created like this lunchroom which we never like put a sign up. We never said, this is the lunchroom. We never told kids, okay, go to the gym to get your lunch. That just, they thought this is where lunch is. This is what, what school is supposed to be. And so without even consciously doing that, all of a sudden the first week of school, we have, you know, 20 tables set up and there's kids throwing grapes and it's like this (laughs) like little recess lunchroom that we then had to very actively deconstruct that mentality and get kids to think differently about that space, we had to add, slowly transform it into into like a, a fabrication shop with, you know, equipment and electrical run and make it really clear to kids, this is not a lunchroom. And then as we kind of like transformed the the space attached to it that was, you know, kind of the kitchen that wasn't really being used and, and started to move out some of the equipment, there were so many conversations with people saying, what do you mean you're getting rid of the, the lunchroom? Like, why don't? how can you run a school without this? And it was mind-blowing for me, first of all, to see the kids just naturally fall into behaviors based on their place, based on the locations. And then also how difficult it is sometimes to get people even just to see space differently, that they think it has to be done a certain way. And we're going to put a bike shop in the kitchen, and we're going to get rid of all this kitchen equipment, and we're just going to make sandwiches you know, off-site and bring them in. And we really don't need to have this kitchen where we're going to reheat a bunch of you know, like lunchroom food. That's not really at the core of what we're trying to do. So if we have this building, we're just going to think about this space differently. And it's been um it's been amazing to me how much resistance there is even just to those tiny decisions. I can't imagine then saying we're gonna put a whole school in a park or a downtown. I I don't it just it seems to me it's really hard to get people you have to be very intentional around designing space so that they think about it differently, otherwise they just automatically fall into the routines that they that they know and have done for forever.
1: Yeah. I mean totally agreed. In Obviously, you've experienced an idea through the examples that you just gave. You know, just, you know, you basically have raw space and you're just redefining it. But yet it's very, very difficult for people to see that differently. But the thing that helps people over time is when you deliver on it you not only deliver on what it is you say you're going to do, but you're doing it at a, at a much higher level than typically what is being done across the school system that you're participating right. in, you know? And so it, if soda had started, it, like, and it, when it came to test scores, when it came to graduation rates, when it came to, you know, to all of those kind of ways as a systems we've chosen to rank, particular schools, if we didn't pay attention to those, we, I'm sure, would not exist, you know, as a school. But because we've far exceeded what people's probably expectations were, you know, just like if we'd been downtown and we had kids kind of running wild and graffitiing all over downtown, you know, it'd be really difficult to still be there or the same kind of thing at the park. But I think it's when you're building and you're really building a community, and you're building it around some very particular, you know, uh, kind of beliefs, which are community, empathy, thinking, and balance, and you're really, those are instilled with the staff, they're instilled with the students. You have the, you know, opportunity to really create a culture that gets students and staff excited to participate in something that's much larger than themselves and to realize that they are part of actually changing that educational paradigm.
0: Well, that's one of the things I've always just really appreciated about
1: this concept because I think
0: there was a school proposed to be at Point Defiance, right, before, like back in yeah,
1: back in the 80s. Ago.
0: And I think the, what you shared with me before, the challenge, the reason that never got off the ground was not because of lack of vision but because they wanted the investment up front instead of the... Proof that it was actually going to work, and I think so many of these schools start with start very humble and small to show that the the the, the school is not about a building or it's not about a, um, <clears throat> a certain location. It's about the 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 community that you create, and then over time, as you show that that's successful and that kids are working, then you can start to build on the assets that you need to to grow a school. But if you're going to start with we're going to have to ask for $20 million to build a building before we can even start thinking about the school, you're never going to get the investment because nobody knows what they're investing in. I mean, it's very similar to like the startup world. If you're going to start with, you know, a capital investment of X amount of millions of dollars before you have a concept that has, you know, that is even proven, you're never going to, you're never going to get off the ground. You have to actually start with the people that, that know what they're doing and, and be able to show it in small ways and then continue to grow that instead of trying to start with the huge idea and then have to prove it that you deserved it to begin with.
1: Yeah. So I think that's obviously one aspect of it. I think the other as well is that if someone gave you $20 million and you haven't actually done it, you would spend it and make a tremendous amount of mistakes because you really don't know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: but by starting a school and running it, and you're doing it out of either lease space or, you know, space that, you know, like we're in portables, like it, you know, at at Sammy. And obviously ideas in an older elementary school out on the south side of Tacoma, you know, and Soda was in lease spaces. But as you now exist for two, four, ten years – you really have a much clearer idea of what
0: you know. What you're somebody gave you 20 for, yeah. million.
1: Now I know what I would use that for, right. and yeah. how you'd you'd really build it, and so it really now becomes this useful asset to help you better deliver education, as opposed to I have a nice shiny new building, and now I'm having to sometimes function around things that were designed inappropriately for what you're trying to do.
0: Right. And so much of that stems back to really having a clear definition of what it is the school is about. Because I know you know each of these schools have kind of subject area expertise. They're about you know the visual and performing arts at Sona, or the you know physical and biological sciences or life sciences at SAMI, about engineering and design at Idea. But all of them have a very clear underpinning of what that culture really means. And there's these four pillars that we talk about. How does um, how important is that to have? just that defining characteristic of like pillars that you build everything off of that you like instill and, and where did those sort of come from?
1: The pillars came like really were developed over the course of probably the first three four years and then working with the staff and so it wasn't you know once again it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know when you start something like this it's like it's as you use the analogy of a startup with a, with a, um, a business you know you, you have a really great idea or vision but it's like constantly being willing to adjust and to be flexible and to figure you know what are how are we constantly creating solutions to what some of the challenges are as opposed to just believing you know oftentimes people get stuck like this is how you have to do it and then you know they're are not willing to kind of change or adjust or sit back and think about it. I think in every one of the situations, we had we had, had preconceived ideas of what a schedule would look like, what the day would look like. And I think in all three schools and each, you know, they were literally changed dramatically in the first like two or three months yeah, of school.
0: It was for idea. We started with this idea of having like two teams that we would kind of like create these curricular project teams and they would get together. We align the schedule in such a way that they would get together like, you know, once a week and come up with these big elaborate projects. And it's almost like <laughs> you're trying to teach someone how to run a marathon before they've ever like run a lap around the track. <laughs> we had to like throw all that out and say, we just need to like actually do a project in one class with one group of students. Well, before we start to think about these like larger ideas, especially with people that have never taught before and never done that. Yeah.
1: And that, you know. So in each location, each school, it's had a tremendous, you know, it just has its own challenges. They're very similar, but in a lot of ways, they're very, very different as well. You know, and it's kind of learning the nuances of, you know, how's it really going to work? and, And then how are we really delivering on what we say so if you say you're an engineering school, how are we really delivering on that? How are we really, you know, in this case at IDEA, how are we, you know, inviting engineers to participate and to be part of it and helping you design the curriculum and talk about it? And then they're working in conjunction with instructors so that we're creating more and more project-based education. So there's a real clear understanding of what engineering is at right. all or what is industrial design, you know, so kids understand that. And it's been the same kind of thing at so I think... Um, You find a lot of oftentimes schools that they're kind of doing it like it's a McDonald's franchise, you know, and we obviously have taken a very different route there. Obviously, while we we work together and there's a lot of commonality that's built through those four pillars, it's there's still a lot of a lot of uh, autonomy and flexibility to get to mastery around, you know. These very particular kinds of, you know, of focus, so that you can do one or two things really well, as opposed to trying to be a shopping mall of, you know, these oftentimes kind of low-level opportunities for kids. So you mentioned a couple times the
0: idea of delivering on what you say you're going to do. What um What does that look like for a school? And obviously there's specific ways that you can deliver on on what you promise with schools, whether it be through test scores or through graduation rates. But as far as the public is concerned, I know a lot of people don't look at test scores when they think about how great a school is. There are people in education that do, but parents don't necessarily look up what are the best test scores for where I can send my kids. They, they send their kids to a place where they know that they're going to be engaged and excited to go to school. So how does, what does that look like for schools to deliver on the, what they say they're going to do?
1: Well, you know, for you, Soda says it's about the arts. So are we really are we really partnering in the when it comes to the visual arts? Are we teaching them at a high level? Or are we really giving them the foundational skills that are necessary to be able to, to turn that into a career? Are we working with the museums so they can see the bigger picture of how the fine arts works, but then also from graphic design and the design world and how that, the intersections that that has with obviously the computer sciences and with all of the technology and things that are out there. So. Are we, are we really building a curriculum that is, that are giving students the foundational skills to really be able to pursue this? And it's the same kind of thing with engineering. Are we really, are we building teams and do we have people there that are really building those foundational skills and, and creating opportunities for students to really understand and see what engineering is all about or industrial design. And the same thing when you're talking about the physical, you know, or the life sciences. How are we, you know, what are how are we utilizing that park in a way that is really stimulating students based upon their, each of the students are, while it's a lottery, they're choosing to go to one of these three schools. And so they, whether they understand it totally or not, they have an interest in those things and they have, you know, and so it's to develop that passion and to create that, that path and that ability for them to discover, you know, their strengths and to build on those. And, you know, and obviously a very, very important component of this, of all of it for these three schools is our internship program in right. the next move. because. I think one of the hardest things, we, okay, we can have really great classes. We could have a lot of really great engineering opportunities for kids, and we could have you know, X, Y, and Z at the schools. But the more that we get them out of school when we get into that junior year and the senior year where now if I really want to be an engineer and maybe it's a civil engineer or whatever, I'm now doing an internship in an engineering firm and I'm sitting alongside people and I really am working with them on real work and really starting to understand here's what it looks like to be a civil engineer, you know, or if I'm I'm in the arts, you know, where am I going to land and then how am I going to And it's creating those relationships with people who are doing what it is your dream of or hope to do someday so that they can help you see the path to accomplishing that. We, you know, for a kid, you're 17, 18 years old, you're graduating from high school, everybody's telling you you need to go to college and you're not really sure where I should go to college, why I'm really going. You know, so the more that you have a team behind you It's helping you with your passions, your interests, and then how they made those decisions. And so it helps you make those decisions is, I think, invaluable.
0: So um, if I'm an eighth grader deciding to go to school, why do you think some of those eighth graders, why do they decide, why would I decide to go to one of these schools? Why would I make that conscious decision instead of just going to the neighborhood school that I was assigned to?
1: Well, I, I mean, I hope it's, I mean, we do a, a tremendous amount of information nights and trying to give students a glimpse of what, what's possible in the arts. What does that really mean? What are the visual arts about? What's the opportunity that's there? What are, what are the performing arts, you know, so that it's more than just band. It's like, you know, songwriting and it's music theory and it's, you know, audio recording and it's, you know, not just your necessarily your the traditional instruments but it's like you know it's the guitar and it's the you know the garage bands or whatever you know where kids are you know they're able to really we're able to invite kids in we have a you know we have music within schools but typically 20 percent or less actually participate in by the time they get to high school in band because if you don't know how to play an instrument or have access to that traditional instrument you're and you can't read music, you know, it's not gonna work out very well for you in band. I mean, they have some beginning bands, but it doesn't, you know, probably, there's not as many kids that pull in because they've never, it hasn't been something they've done. But we have a lot of kids that are, you know, obviously the accessibility of music and listening to it, and they've, you know, gotten a guitar, or they have a few friends and they kind of have a band, and so providing that opportunity for them to come in and really learn about music and to learn, learn music theory and, you know, can start to think about how they're going to write their right songs. And, you know, it's,
0: so you think it's mostly their, their passions and their interests, like finding, if I'm an eighth grader, finding the people, finding the things that I'm passionate about, a place to explore that. Is that, you think the primary reason?
1: Totally. I think it's, you know, it is, it's built. I mean, Each one of us, we have, you know, some kids like tinker and like take things apart and, you know, try to see how they operate and how do they work. And, you know, man, to find out that there's a place where I can do that and that that's something that they're going to encourage and they're going to create those opportunities for me. Or I love to be out in nature and I'm really interested in, you know different plants and animals and like I want to or I want to be out on the water you know or I I have heard that that is just like is like and it kind of makes me feel like oh that's what I'd like to do the rest of my life you know or I'm that kid who's always doodling and drawing and always you know I want to do something they're just constantly doing that kind of thing how great to potentially have this opportunity to like let's go someplace where that's what they they're going to build on your strength and your passion you know so i think that's what it's about it's about choice and it's about individual passions and interests
0: well and i think people finding students finding other adults that are passionate about the same things they are so getting introduced to people that are professionals within each of those fields. I mean, but I just, I'm thinking if I was an eighth grader going into high school and I start to get into music to find out that there's this really great musician that lives in town, that's going to be teaching there that I can learn from or find someone else who thinks similar to the way that I do, that can start to point me in that direction. Um, It's, you know, it's more than mentorship. It's like being a part of a tribe and like knowing that you're with your people, (laughs) the people that are like you. So
1: true that it's, you know, it is that it's there's obviously that instructor piece and it's connected to people in the community, but as you're saying, it's like the tribe. It's like, it's all of the students. These students, they've all like, I am. This is what I'm really interested in. This well, one.
0: and I think what's hard is that high school, and I don't think this is intentional, but it's in in most traditional high schools, there's a, um, there are certain traits or tribes or expertise that are. Way overvalued than others. I I think predominantly with sports. And so most of the culture kind of thrives around, and their sports are great, there's nothing wrong with it, but most of the culture thrives around the, the kids that are the most successful are either going to be in AP classes. Or on a sports team that's going to be successful. Or maybe at some schools there's a performing arts department. But pretty much everything else is a very, very small component. And so for a kid to not fit into one of those boxes and feel like, well, who, what is my... Because high school is about identity. It's about finding who I am. The, the kind of person that, I, that I'm going to be. How I identify with people. How I relate to people. And if I go to high school, I'm in eighth grade and I start this high school and I look around I say, well, there's these kids that are really good at sports. The kids that are really smart. They're in the AP classes. And then maybe there's like a theater department. Maybe there's some music. But like if I don't fit into one of those boxes, then where's, where do I fit in? And so creating a school that's like I don't fit into any of these things and I find a place that actually feels like that's where I can have identity could be life-changing for some kids.
1: Yeah. and I um, So I think there's, there's some truth to that. I think the other is it's, it's the act of actually – creating uh, the opportunity for students to have to understand and then choose I think that I think that's sometimes the bigger thing it's not that I mean for some students that that comprehensive experience you know the, the different things that you've mentioned that's like an incredible experience for them and that's something that it's wonderful that they have the opportunity to choose into that and to do that you yeah, know, totally. participate in it and so I think it's indicative of an educational system to create multiples of opportunities and then really the expectation is that students have to go through a process to choose, to participate in something. Because anytime you have to choose something, it means you're going to have to do a bit of research, a bit of you know, figuring it out for yourself or with your family is, what am I interested in? Who am I? Where are my strengths? What is it that you know, I potentially want to pursue or I certainly want to try to understand more about? And I think the sooner that we do that with students and we do that with families, the better prepared they'll be for the next steps in life. I mean, it's, obviously those are things that we have to do our entire life. We, we either cho- make choices or choices are made for us. Right, and you know? most of the time in education, choices are made for you. They are. And you, you're not necessarily the, you know, you're not really the driver for what's happening educationally to you. It's other people are making this, those decisions. Right. Do you think every high school student should make a choice about where they go to school? They do. I think they should go through a process. I think there should be, and then I think it should be the obligation of the school to very clearly articulate who they are, why they're there. And... What, what they have to offer so that you're, you know, it's like if you're going to go out and buy a car. It's the obligation of the car company to explain the different models and what they have to offer. And, you know, and then you make very particular choices based upon who you are as a person, what it is you do, and how it's going to best serve and meet your needs. Well,
0: and that kind of gets back to mission of, like, having, really having to understand if you're a school leader, identify what your mission is, why you exist, um, what what your why is can start to dictate why you would tell someone that they should come to your school, right. and I think too often the why is we exist because there's kids that live nearby, and so we need to get them a diploma instead of saying, well, what are we really about, though? What are we going to be? What does it mean to come to school here? There's something more meaningful than just the zip code you were born into. Right,
1: and then... 100% agree. And that's, you know, and if we're doing that across school systems, which where you're opening them up, they're schools of choice. Students are encouraged based upon who they are to really be looking at them and choosing and then going to those. We also create opportunities for students to 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 be in situations where they're sitting next to others and participating within that tribe with people based upon educational interests based upon their passions based upon their strengths and not based upon their income and zip code
0: yeah and that's powerful for kids to be able to on both sides to be able to go to school with someone from the other side of town that grew up in a very different environment to learn that where they came from what their interests are and how they've pursued those interests might be different because of the life that they've
1: lived it's critically important. I mean, you think about um, the opportunity for that kind of thing to happen. It, <laughs> High school and public education is really one of the only places where it'll you really have that opportunity for it to happen. You're going to make very particular decisions after high school, and um, I think that's why we experience so much of the um, you know, things that we do within our society is because people, we end up living in isolation with people who are very much like ourselves. And we don't have, we haven't had dinner or we haven't participated with people who are very different than us, which is created a barrier for the rest of our life of that actually happening. So if we can create those opportunities and we're building it around a community and you know, the things like empathy and, you know, we're actually really teaching those and we're teaching really thoughtful thinking and creative ways of, you know, asking questions and, you know, how do we, you change people's perspective, you know, as they make those next steps in life, which obviously is going to inform our society and the way that it looks and operates.
0: So why, why do you do this work personally?
1: Why did why did you start a
0: school what's <clears throat> what's your personal drive for for continuing to create change in public school systems
1: oh, I mean initially it was soda it was really I had a you know was in the arts I have a passion for the arts uh, and it was it can be very frustrating it's there's you know there are great art teachers out there but Unfortunately, sometimes it's not necessarily something that was highly valued, and oftentimes it's something that's taught at a relatively low level, you know. And so, students' exposure, people's exposure, unfortunately, for a lot of people, they're, the exposure to any of these kind of things, once again, is in high school, right. you know, because they, and so it was really how can we create that? We can raise the bar. We can start working with professional organizations and professionals within a community. Uh, That's where the adjunct instructor program came from, and inviting people that are an inch wide and a mile deep to be teaching alongside our teachers' classes so that we're offering these really high-level courses that oftentimes students wouldn't have access to until they're in college. You know, so that it helps, once again, it kind of informs that next choice of where they're going to go and what they're going to do. So from that, it was, you know, that's obviously where Soda came from. And then it was really, you know, man, as we use these assets, let's, you know, we can be doing this in in other areas as well. So I guess more than you personally, though, like
0: even just starting Soda is one thing. Like you started a school... You were really passionate about the arts. That was your focus. You recognized that the the, the appreciation and the the, the quality of, of art education was not where it could be. And so you created an opportunity. It was really successful. Most people in life would just stop there and say, all right, I achieved my life's mission. I've started this school. It's going really well. I'm just going to focus on that now. I've, I've, I've fulfilled my desire, but you've started two others. There's this continued work to change the education, um, the educational opportunities that exist? Like why, what is it that continues to drive you to want to create new opportunities?
1: Well, I think, um, I think one of the, I mean, as you're, you, you know, in starting soda in, you know, the ability to work with a group of, uh, of incredible instructors and to invite people to participate in this and then as you have people that are participating in it, you know, in Starting Soda, obviously we there's the math and there's the humanities and all these different areas that exist and as you're hiring people, you're hiring people who are passionate about those things, not, well, I paint and I like to do math kind of thing you know because you want to teach math at the same high level as you would teach the arts or you know your humanities that kind of thing and so it's like as you're doing this you're also what are these strengths of these people what are they what are they what excites them every day to get up and how do you encourage that so that we can continue to create opportunities for students at a really high level, so they can re- so they can realize their passions. But to do that, you need people who, man, I would love to participate in starting a SAMI because I am really passionate about the sciences and I'm really passionate about, you know, marine biology, and I want to do that. And and so it, it's having that core of these people who, so you're, you're creating a path and an opportunity for them to continue to grow as individuals, and then it's creating this opportunity for a community and for students to be able to participate once again with a community, with a tribe, with people who are passionate about what it, where these other students, you know, where they have interests and things that they really want to be able to do.
0: So is there a, an ever a po- point at which you feel like there's enough choice for students to choose based on their passions or is there always the need to constantly be creating things new in education?
1: I think it's an ever evolving thing all of the time. Learning, that's what learning is. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't yeah. you don't kind of get okay, I've got everything and I'm done. It's like every day <laughs> you're learning something new it's like it's how are, it's a challenge it's like you know and so obviously each one of the schools has to adjust but how are we how do we look at what are the other assets within our community what kind of things are happening how's our community changing how should how can we be flexible and changing along with it as opposed to being this oftentimes it becomes this very rigid structure That exists within a society, and it is oftentimes very disconnected to the realities of the world that we're living in. I mean, none of us know today how people, you know, what the opportunities for jobs and what's going to be out there in the next 15 to 20 years. Yeah, that's true. We have absolutely no idea, and so that's why we need a way of operating that is flexible, so we can continually be adjusting to that.
0: Well, that is powerful. I mean, schools have never been seen as any as a dynamic force. <laughs> it's always been a very static thing. We've done this for this this way for a hundred years. this is the way it is. This is what's important. It's not really going to change. So creating a school system that is constantly evolving and changing is is pretty unique as um, do you think there's any play like starting this in, in, in a place like Tacoma, Washington do you think the city of Tacoma and just the the culture of, of um, the people that are involved, could this have been done anywhere else? Is there anything about the city of Tacoma and, and the just being a breeding ground for this kind of creativity to, to create new schools?
1: Um, I think you can do it anywhere. So I think it can happen anywhere in the country. It doesn't make any difference if it's urban, rural, you know, any of that. I think it's, it's about a group of people who have can work together with a clear vision and mission of what they're trying to accomplish, and then form relationships to create opportunities mm-hmm. for students, you know? And then really, I mean, the key is when you're building a school is it's about the students. It's not about the adults. Right. And oftentimes education gets, it kind of goes sideways when the adult becomes the primary concern It's not the student. That's where flexibility becomes difficult. Definitely.
0: This podcast has been a product of Elements of Education, a nonprofit based in Tacoma, Washington. For more information on the nonprofit and the work that we do, you can check out ElementsOfEd.org. For more information about the school idea, you can check out IdeaTacoma.org or TacomaSchools.org. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much.